It's now time to go around the nation in Division Three football. And here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. Well, once again, we have Wisconsin Whitewater versus Mount Union in the Stag Bowl. And for those of you who didn't immediately click away from the Around the Nation podcast, thanks for joining us. Uh, he's Keith McMillan. I'm Pat Coleman. And yeah, so uh, it's just for the uh, ninth time in 10 years that we have uh, these two teams meeting in the national championship of Division Three football as Mount Union rolled past Wesley 70-21 to on Saturday and Wisconsin Whitewater defeated Linfield by the score of 20-14. to uh, One of us was at each of these games. Uh, I, you would think I would have thought I drew the short straw. I was in Alliance, Ohio. Uh, Keith was in Whitewater, Wisconsin. But, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about each of those games. And, of course, we'll talk about the last game remaining here in this season. But uh, we're going to tackle the question that the other 242 teams are wondering about. And it's a question, I think, that uh, you and I have tackled on this podcast before, Keith, if I remember correctly. Uh, and that's a question of, you know, whether this is good for the game and, and good for the game, meaning uh, Division three football to be dominated in such fashion by these two teams who have uh, once again gotten themselves to Salem, Virginia, the pinnacle of Division three football, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, the Mountain Union game, obviously a huge blowout. Uh, Whitewater had to uh, score in the fourth quarter and then hold on to survive. Um, Keith, I'm not sure how much of a difference either of those particular two outcomes makes to a significant uh, portion of the fan base that is just tired of seeing these two particular shades of purple in Salem. People are definitely tired of it. There's no getting around it. There's no selling any kind of narrative where it's, it's great for the other 242 teams to continue to watch the same two teams do it. But... Let's be clear up front. There's a difference between it being, I guess, frustrating for the rest of Division Three, and it being um, unearned, it being the wrong outcome, uh, it, it being the, the Stag Bowls themselves being not entertaining because they're, they're great games generally, last year notwithstanding. Uh, the two teams, you know, one of the big points I, I would make is at least it's not just one dominant team running through the whole division three. At least when we get here to Salem at this point, there's, there's two of them and we don't know who's going to win on Friday night. So, and there's intrigue this year because Mount Union's coming in hot off a 70 point, you know, hanging 70 on Wesley and, and Whitewater's coming in, uh, having to, to, you know, pull off a sack on fourth and three to advance. And, and then there's the, the subtext of, of them winning 52-14 last year. So that's interesting. But I, I think there are some, some new nuanced thoughts that we can bring to this uh, discussion that where, where we can be up front and say, hey, look, it's not necessarily good for the diehard D3 fans to see the same two teams. But it also you know, is not, not necessarily wrong or, or, or terrible either. And, and some people, I think, overreact. Yeah, not, uh, not terrible or not... Um, and I say an indication of a broken system, but uh, that's not quite the term I'm looking for. Basically, not unfair. I mean, these teams, you know, won their way through brackets to get here. It's not like they were uh, two teams selected by a committee or even four teams selected by a committee because that's twice as good um, as having two teams selected. Um, but yeah, one of those points that you mentioned earlier uh, is one of the ones that I is kind of in my go-to list. Um, you know, that at least there's a second team, right? We went through this phase in the uh the 90s and the early part of last decade where mount union mount union mount union wins uh three national titles in a row and six out of seven and we you know have you know rowan is the is a number two team for a while uh you know they actually played even in a stag bowl that didn't even involve mount union back when those used to happen um but you know, nobody really stepped up to be a consistent number two. So now we've had Whitewater, and we've had now a decade of Whitewater doing this, and we've, uh, you know, we, we keep kind of putting out the call for the third team and the fourth team to uh, to step up and do that as well. And you know, we get uh, we get close to these things, but of course, none of those teams ever uh, has managed to break through. Not since two thousand four. Wow. I'm sorry. Of course, since of course, also two thousand twelve, the year in which Whitewater didn't even qualify. Right, we should we should uh, shout out St. Thomas. They did break the mold for one year, and they do kind of get for, forgotten about now that it's been two more years on the other end of the first seven uh, matchups between Mount Union and well, Whitewater. Well, and I would say this too. I mean, they didn't beat Whitewater, right? 
they didn't have to go through Whitewater that yeah. year. Sure, it was it was certainly a different tournament without them in it. Pat, though, you um, you bring up the point of the the years where it uh, where it was more jumbled, um, where we had the excitement of of different teams getting to Salem uh, when when uh, St. Thomas upset not St. Thomas St. John's. Then you had Linfield and Mary Harden Baylor in two thousand four. Then in 2005, Whitewater was new. And so you take that three-year snapshot of history and, and you feel like we have that churn at the top that, that uh, FCS has, that Division II has, where there are certainly consistently successful programs, but it's not the same two every year. But it, here's also the, the point that I continually make, and it held true on Saturday as well with the very close game uh, in Wisconsin. Zoom back one round from the Stag Bowl. Occasionally zoom back two rounds to the quarterfinals. But even if you just go back to the semifinals, we have great games every year. We do have teams where um, they challenge Mountain Union. They challenge Whitewater. We go into this Saturday not knowing are those two teams going to get into Salem and we get that get to have that exciting ride. I was on the field in the fourth quarter out, at, uh, out in Whitewater and Linfield's driving you know, with a chance to win that game, they end up losing 20 to 14 with the big John Flood sack on uh, on fourth and three. Linfield is on the 20 yard line at that point in the game. The clock was under two minutes. It's a great game, one for the ages, one we'll all remember. Last year, same thing. Um, North Central takes the lead at Mount Union. Kevin Burke, you know, three plays, takes Mount Union down the field. They score in the final 90 seconds of that one. Um, Whitewater and, and Mary Harden Baylor last year, we all know Mary Harden Baylor dropped the pass in the end zone, ended up kicking a field goal to go there. They're down 16-15, didn't get the ball back or, or got it back with very little time on the clock. Whitewater hangs on to win. Go back two years ago, um, Mountain Union has to score with five seconds left to beat Mary Harden-Baylor in the semifinals. Go back 2011, Wesley, seven points from uh, from beating Mountain Union or from tying, I guess, right? Mountain Union won, won 28-21 back in 2011. You have to go back to 2010, when both semifinals were, were blowouts, Mount Union and Whitewater uh, won by 20 each on that day. So we do get to this round, and we certainly get to the second second round, the quarterfinals, where there is excitement and, and the playoffs are are genuinely enjoyable. So I, I don't think we can say that these are it, – it's inevitable. Certainly it's the safe bet. It's what we expect to happen at the beginning of the season. But there's enough doubt in there and enough enjoyment to say that the journey is worth it. The playoffs are, are, are great and still enjoyable. And uh, even if you have the, the same two teams coming through at the end, uh, it doesn't invalidate the whole you know, participation in the process. No, I mean, you win any shoot, any uh, playoff process, especially in football, where you start with 32 teams, you, uh, your national champion is in that field. There's nobody who sat home, uh, in uh, on Selection Sunday and, and got overlooked. Who is uh, you know who, who would have been playing this weekend? We we uh, I, I think that's a pretty safe uh, a pretty safe bet. So you know the uh, we the nice thing is we've produced legitimate champions. The not so nice thing for everybody else is that for the past decade, uh, including this upcoming year, uh, this year that we're about to play here in a, a few days, it will be either Mount Union or Whitewater. And that is, unfortunately, for a lot of people, the way it has been since Linfield won in 2004. And, you know, it's unfortunate viewed through a certain prism. All right. So it, we can say, and most of the people who are listening to this podcast are as diehard or somewhere in the realm of di as diehard as we are about it, and we would agree it's not necessarily good for the game, but it's good that Mount Union and Whitewater have each other because outside of 35-16 and 52-14, all the other Mount Union-Whitewater stag bowls have been decided in the fourth quarter kind of affairs. But I also I also think there are different audiences, there, and I identify three different different audiences um, the, mar the marketing guy in me just perked his ears up. Go ahead. Okay. Well, there, there are three different audiences in, you know, in terms of ways we would group the way people view this rematch. Oh, here we go again, right? The people who live and follow D3 and aren't Whitewater or Mountain Union supporters, they really want to see someone else win. They would have rooted for Linfield or Wesley or North Central or Mary Harden Baylor or St. Thomas or anyone to break through. Then you have this audience at Whitewater, at Mountain Union, the community surrounding those teams who 
they want to win and they want to do it against each other. You know, Mount Union, I'm sure they enjoyed winning the national championship against St. Thomas, but it's not the same as as when you beat Whitewater. So there, there are those communities that get excited for the playoffs, that get pumped up for another trip to Salem, that mark that on their calendar every year in between the office holiday party and Christmas or, or Hanukkah or whatever. You know, like this is a yearly tradition for, for a lot of people from Ohio and from Wisconsin. And then there's this this group outside of D3 who only kind of casually pays attention and who or, or only pays attention this time of year. And they're the kind of people who in 2014 still say things like Mountain Union plays the Little Sisters of the Poor or uh, they must have all Ohio State dropouts or transfers. And those, by the way, are both actual quotes from the press box in Wisconsin on Saturday. Uh, and I think to that general audience. This, the, the rematch, is something familiar that they know and they can watch without having to learn something new about, uh, about D3, like, you know, where North Central even is. So um, there are, th- I think, three main ways we can view it, and the, and the diehards definitely are like anybody else, just break through just to change it up. There's obviously the, the people who support the Purple Powers who love this, this and there are the people who aren't that familiar with D3 who at least, you know, can feel like they know something about D3 and they, and they get up for the stag ball and follow it. Right. D3. That's the one with uh, Whitewater and Mountain Union. They win all the time. Yeah. And, and obviously to, to snooty, highfalutin, knowledgeable D3 folks like ourselves, um, <laughs> that, that it doesn't necessarily appeal to us. But at the same time, especially you and I, and we're going to broadcast this game on Friday. So we would probably say this even if we didn't believe it, but I think we both believe it, is that these are generally, between the two, the two of them, they're great matchups. And, it's, and that is good for the game, for the Stag Bowl to be compelling, to go down there from Wednesday to Friday, from the Gallardi presentation through the Stag Bowl and have genuine excitement, genuine doubt over who's going to win. We don't know what kind of game it's going to be. We don't need a miracle to have a close game in the fourth quarter. There are some legendary... Stag Bowl moments between the two teams, whether it's the snowball or or Cecil Shorts coming in in the fourth quarter, or Cecil Shorts catching two touchdowns early in the game, or Pierre Garcon leapfrogging a guy at the goal line, or long Lavelle Coppage runs, Justin Beaver long runs, Nate Kamick long runs. I mean, the goal line stands. We can we can I could just I just name those all off the top, and those are all from from great Mount Union Stag Bowls. Now, don't try to quiz me and ask me to match the play with the particular year because there's so many of them. They're starting to run together, but but they are generally pretty good games. I'm just going to ignore that last part because you know that's something that uh, fans wouldn't necessarily be pleased about either that there's so many of them that they run together but you know the thing is um and i know that uh, you heard lance leipold talk about this on saturday is these sort of things don't just happen uh i hope those of you you know everyone that's here today you get a chance to see that it just doesn't happen okay last week just didn't happen it, it, it's not now I don't know what they think on their side. Their, their scores are pretty one-sided. But, but our, ours, we, we had to battle back. We had to battle against a lot of teams. So um, you know, I'm proud of our football team. They've handled distractions. Um, they've, they've continued to battle and play for four quarters. And, and uh, often, often probably say that they've earned their way back to another stable. That was Whitewater coach Lance Leipold talking in the postgame after his team squeaked by Linfield on, on Saturday. He's ha- had this experience this season of having to having to score in the final two minutes to uh, to beat uh, Wisconsin River Falls in Week 11. They had to come back from down 33-16 to beat Warburg in the quarterfinals. They had to hold off a Linfield final drive uh, after Linfield uh, rallied to tie the game in the semifinals. So that's a team that's that's pretty well battle tested. And even though Lance was kind of making a joke there. In in the post game, Mount Union is the same way from having to play John Carroll twice this season. The Wesley game obviously didn't live up to its billing, but um, but for for Mount Union, they're not coming into this thing not having earned it, and that's a credit to to John Carroll raising its level of play. And uh, and and so I, I think it is something that we do have to keep in mind that um, that these these games don't just happen you know they don't just appear out of out of thin air and we don't we 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 can you could pencil it in at the beginning of the season but you certainly don't write it in pen until they go through the other four teams in the postseason right and you know there have been years where uh mountain union basically doesn't get tested 
uh, if not in the regular season, sometimes not even in the playoffs. Uh, you know, uh, in in my press box that I was in on Saturday, one of the uh, one of the things that was talked about quite a bit was a certain sixty six nothing game in the national semifinals in which Mount Union, uh, you know, well, you and I were there uh, when they uh, defeated Bridgewater, uh, and they didn't get a, that kind of test in the national semifinals, and they didn't get a test in the quarterfinals either. At least this year, they have, as you mentioned, they've been tested a couple of times, uh, both of them by John. Carol. Yeah, and I think that bodes well for whatever may happen this Friday night in the Stag Bowl because we're expecting a game like most of the the Mount Union Whitewater Stag Bowls have been. That, that tends to be a pretty close one, and if it comes down to a, to the fourth quarter, or if if there's a point where Mount Union is trailing and, and they haven't trailed, um, I don't know if they've trailed at all this year. Even in both the John Carroll games, they were they were leading. That they were tied several times with John Carroll. Um, you know, Whitewater has trailed. They've had to rally. Whitewater has, has had to, you know, put together a game-winning drive as they did on, on Saturday to, to go ahead against Linfield. So um, if that turns out to, to be the, that, this kind of thing in the Stag Bowl where, where these two teams get into a slugfest, they'll already know what it's like. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about each of the games that we were at. Um, I don't expect to talk a whole lot about, uh, you know, blow by blow of the Mount Union Wesley game, uh, because, you know, frankly at about, oh, let's see the one twelve mark of the, uh, first quarter. And if not, so then the fourteen fifty seven mark of the second quarter, uh, you know, this game was, uh, this game was, uh, you could pretty much write off everything that happened after that. I mean, first of all, just going, looking at the final numbers, I mean, Wesley put up, uh, 526 yards of total offense, but 238 of those are in uh, drives, those uh, three touchdown drives that they uh, put up against the uh, second string defense. Um, but the thing is, is that, uh, you know, uh, Joe Callahan and Wesley, they moved the ball a little bit uh, against the, the first string and, you know, kind of shot themselves in the foot a couple times. But also, I mean, couldn't couldn't manage to return kickoffs, you know, started, uh, started drives inside their own 10 yard line, uh, you know, couldn't hang on to the football. Uh, it was just, a, it was, it was, you know, a couple missteps here, a couple misplays there. And I would just, you know, kind of discourage people from looking at 70 to 21 and, you know, frankly, 70 to nothing when it's uh, first string against first string and, and try to draw some conclusion of, uh, out of that. I just think that, uh, you know, these are the these are the kind of games, as uh, Keith mentioned, that, uh, you know, Mountain Union just uh, gets on a roll and things snowball. I was talking with fans at the tailgate before the game and we were <clears throat> talking over how everybody you know, thought this was going to be a good game. And I said, I could see two outcomes. We could have a really great game or... Mountain Union could just come out and blow the doors off because there's always the possibility that Mountain Union could blow the doors off of anybody. Uh, sometimes even uh, Wisconsin Whitewater, although that hasn't happened in uh, quite a while, but anybody else in Division Three, Mountain Union is perfectly capable of doing that too. And uh, we had it happen again on Saturday. Yeah, I think in, in Mountain Union games, you have to play a clean game in the first quarter, coming out of the gates, no turnovers. You have to get some stops on defense and don't let them get on the board right away early. And this game actually started in decent fashion for Wesley. They they forced Mountain Union to punt. They had a couple of chances where they, they um, could have made some breaks for themselves early in the game. Um, you know, they, they, they did have an interception when, when Mountain Union was going in at one point. Luke McGinnis picked off a pass, and that was when Mountain Union had already gotten up a little bit, and that was a chance for Wesley to build some momentum. Wesley had some, some penalties, some drops that hurt it um, early in the game. It wasn't like Wesley got the ball and went three and out. They, you were there. You know, they, they moved the ball, yep. um, but then they, then they would, you know, end up giving it up, giving it up and they didn't, they didn't slow Mountain Union down at all. One of the lines I wrote in Triple Take is that the Wesley DBs can can match up. They have enough. What I'm trying to say was that they had enough athleticism across their defensive backfield to match up with the four or five really good wide receivers that Mountain Union has, and that could not have been more wrong. I mean, they they, yeah. they did not play well at all in the secondary, and I'm I'm just speaking. Um, from listening to it on the radio, I, I was uh, on my I was driving down a foggy, winding road on the way to Whitewater, and uh, through the wonders of 2014 technology, able to to listen to Sean Green and uh, Jason Bowen broadcasting. So I was listening to the Wesley broadcast, and uh, 
those guys they kept bringing up last year as <laughs> yeah as uh, Mount Union got further ahead and Wesley got further behind and they and they kept saying you know Wesley just needs to make a play here to get the ball rolling for them and they you know, they I, I, they said it and I thought it to myself after fourteen nothing. 21 nothing 28 and once they got the punt blocked i thought that was that was really uh when when the things started going downhill i tell you i mean uh so yeah mount union uh goes three and out uh wesley gets a first down um but they they have they had just awful punting all 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 afternoon on saturday and so that first punt you know uh is uh only gets mount union out to the wesley 45 yard line and it's just two plays from that that uh, mount union is in the end zone um, you know, Mountain Union has to put up a, a long drive for the second touchdown, a long drive for the third touchdown, although it was uh, uh, primarily uh, a nice uh, long catch and run for Tim Kennedy, who's a, a guy at uh, wide receiver who's really fast, who we have never talked about because he's, you know, there are four wide receivers uh, who Keith mentioned just a moment ago, and Tim Kennedy would be uh, somewhere in the five range. Um, but, you know, it's just if you if they it is a really a situation where. Uh, the third aspect of the game, special teams really let Wesley down. Um, you know, uh, Joe Callahan was the best punter on the afternoon for uh, Wesley, and that was because uh, in the drives in which Wesley, uh, you know, got into four-down territory, they were able to just uh, have him stand back there in the shotgun and uh, and uh, and punt it on fourth down. Those were, those were the best kicks they had all day. It was just uh, it was just awful all around. And, uh, you know, all these, all these, uh, fine and dandy looking numbers on the Wesley offensive side, like Steve Caduso, uh, tying the division three playoff record for most receptions in a game. And he had 17 catches for two fifty six and a touchdown. It, it's meaningless. You know, this, so, so many of those things came late in the game when the game was decided and the first string was out that you'd almost just don't learn anything from that. What I think we do pick up from this game is a couple of things. And uh, Kevin Nias and I talked about this in the post-game video uh, wrap-up that we did. Um, we talk about uh, Mountain Union's health situation. Uh, B.J. Mitchell, who had been banged up and hadn't gotten a lot of carries the last couple of weeks, looked pretty good on Saturday. He, uh, uh, he, he took 12 carries um, and probably could have taken more if they needed him. Um, and uh, what was the other thing I wanted to mention was, uh, of course, the improvement of the Mountain Union defense. And we uh, from year to year and even from earlier in the, this season, and we will write more about that over the course of this week. But you could just see it. You just look at the math, um, you know, giving up uh, 59 points to Wesley last year and then the first string defense giving up zero this time around. You know, if I had to summarize this uh, this Mount Union Wesley game in one one sentence. Or, or if I had to characterize how we all got it so wrong, I would say it like this. We all looked too much at the 59, and we didn't look enough at the 62. And I'm, re- I'm referencing, referencing that score from last year. Mount Union won that game 62-59. Hey, they, they hung 62 on them last year, and they put 70 on them this year. So their offense played virtually the same game. We have to wonder what happened with Wesley. Did, did the 59 give them a false sense of how close they were? while on the other side, inspiring Mount Union to keep their foot on the pedal in this one, you know, to, to get to the point where it was 70 to nothing. You know, briefly last year, Mount Union got that 31 nothing lead, and then, and then Wesley stormed back, and it was you know, touchdown for touchdown. The, the comment was made to us, and, and I'm sure we shared it on the podcast at the time, that if there had been five more minutes in that game, Wesley would have won. Wesley may have come in, I know, you know, feeling themselves off those 59 points. Certainly heard it with, with Sean and Jason in the broadcast where, where they, they believed that Wesley could, could um, you know, as they fell behind, that Wesley could just turn it on and catch up. And, you know, I think there was a point where reality set in. But um, there, there was no catching up on Saturday. And I don't want to say there was no letting up for Mount Union because there was a point where they did finally uh, take, take their foot off the gas. But that game last year, that score, that 60 to 62, 59, I think impacted the way this year's game was played. I'm sure they, you know, Mount Union, Vince Karras and those guys dissected that film, you know, five ways a Saturday. And, um, made sure that, that they had a different game plan going in this time. You saw it really from the outset. Kevin mentioned it in that, in that uh, D3 report that you guys did. They brought the pressure on Joe Callahan and never let him get comfortable back there. And 
Callahan, Jason Bowen mentioned this a lot in the broadcast. Last year, he did a good job of stepping up into the pocket and, uh, and, and, and making some big throws, buying himself some time to scramble. He did that a couple of times this year, but certainly not as often, and that's because that Mount Union rush was relentless. I'm just going to say for the record, I have no problem with Mount Union playing its starters 40 minutes in that game. I think that uh, the starters are going to need to play more than 40 minutes uh, on Friday night, so I have no problem with the, with anybody playing their starters into the third, deep into the third or into the fourth quarter in any quarterfinal, semifinal game. I'm, let's be honest. This is this is uh, this this is the end of the season. We gotta we gotta let the we gotta let them play. Why don't we move on to the uh, to the interesting game, the one you were at, the uh, where uh, Whitewater scores in the fourth quarter to defeat Linfield twenty to fourteen. And I'm gonna say, um, you know, I've, I've uh, have set aside some time later in the week to watch the second half. I've watched the first half of uh, of that game on uh, on the uh, on ESPN three. Well. The story of this game really was um, Linfield had just an awful, awful first half. And as bad as it was, they played well in a, in a couple of ways to be able to keep it to 14-0 at the half. Not that Whitewater had a, had a great first half. And, and Linfield's awful first half wasn't that they were getting uh, blown off the field or, or the, playing so terribly that they didn't match up well with Whitewater. I think... Um, I, we, you, it was evident for those of us who were there that the possibility that Linfield could play with Whitewater was evident from the very first series. But they just had one of those halves, and, and certainly some of it was due to Whitewater. But let's go through the drives really quickly um, so we can just, just demonstrate what kind of first half this was for Linfield. Punt, interception, punt, punt, missed field goal attempt, fumble, which was a um, uh, fielding a punt and, and muffed it. And then, uh, and then another punt just before the half. Um, not, not the lineup you want to hear for, for your offense. Um, but they they moved the ball a little bit, and they just had some, you know, unfort. They set themselves back with a couple of holding penalties on those early drives that were punts, but they weren't like three and outs. They were six play drives. Then, the, then they would have a holding penalty. They had a, the, a ten play drive where they missed a, a, a forty-seven yard field goal attempt that would have got them on the board early in the game. So it was just one of those halves. Uh, Joe Smith in the post game called it the worst half he'd seen. Linfield play in a while and remember Linfield lost a game in the regular season to Willamette I'm sure they had some uh, bad bad uh, quarters in that game um, but then, then third quarter um, I wouldn't even say it was a big change in scheme um, Linfield was a was a all heart kind of team all season so you, you knew they would come out and and, and give it a go in, in the second half but I thought Sam Riddle uh, really turned it on the uh, the Linfield quarterback missed some throws early in the game. Uh, had guys open. They took a couple of deep shots to Charlie Poppin. He had some one some balls that he floated. The, the interception I mentioned in the first half was a pass that he uh, had a, had a guy. Oh, it was a good decision, but a bad throw. Had a guy open, but but lofted it instead of really throwing it on a rope. Um, but then the third quarter, he just turned it on, and it wasn't his arm. It was uh, w- when he scrambled when he made something uh, out of nothing. He uh, it was dazzling. I mean, he had moves in the open field like a like a running back. He would, you know, spin moves on, on tacklers where he's anticipating them two, three steps ahead. Like like in the video game, you hit the, the, the zero button, circle button. Uh, a lot of that from Sam Riddle. Uh, the touchdown run that got them on the board was, you know, amazing effort. Uh, he turned the corner. I think it was a 17-yard touchdown run. He turned the corner at about the 11. Uh, me and somebody else in the press box said he's going to score. And and it wasn't that he had the angle necessarily. It was pretty much an even run to the pylon, and he just, uh, you know, he just dove and got in. Uh, threw a touchdown pass on a, another drive to a tight end in the back of the end zone. It was a tie game from there. So you're saying I really need to set aside time to watch that second half? The second half was good. And I, honestly, I, I would tell you the first half was kind of boring. Not, uh, you know, just as far as action. Obviously, I was intrigued. How is Tony Kepnick blocking Alex Hoff? And I was trying to make myself watch all these different things. How how is Linfield um, uh, covering Kumaro? Linfield is a base 4-2-5 team. They were playing two safeties 
back pretty much the whole time trying to keep Kumaro in front of him. Uh, they did limit him to, to five catches for 58 yards and one touchdown. Um, and, and Joe Smith, one of the things he said in the postgame, he, he said, if you would have told me that that we'd have done that kind of number on Kumaro, and they also limited Justin Howard to two catches, uh, he said, you, you would have told me that, and they, they would have had, uh, Kumaro wouldn't have had three big touchdown catches on us, uh, and we'd have a chance in the fourth quarter. I'd have taken that any time. So um, they did do a nice job, and it was an exciting uh, second half get to a point in this game where it's about uh, 10 12 minutes left and uh, Whitewater embarks on its drive and by that I mean the drive that it always puts together you know there's a reason why why University of Buffalo is is taking Lance Leipold and Brian Borland and a bunch of other guys off that staff because this team is coached to perform in the clutch they they don't make them they don't make mistakes they don't beat themselves. I think those are things you could say of both White, Whitewater and Mount Union, right? They, they win the turnover battle, they limit penalties, and they're clutch in the fourth quarter. So Linfield starts to put together this drive that it always puts together. Uh, starts to run the ball and, and finds a little more crease, a little, little more than, uh, than they find early in the game. But I thought the plays that, that really define this game for Linfield were a couple of third-down conversion uh, um, Matt Barron didn't have his best game. Lance Leipold said it in the post game, but um, he made some good decisions on the on the the go ahead scoring drive. One was uh, nothing was there deep. He takes a check down to Jordan Ratliff on third and uh, nine, I believe it was, and uh, Ratliff you know catches it coming out of the backfield in the flat, and and you know he has to to make his way to the sticks. He's able to get there and get a first down. A couple plays later, another third down, third and five. Uh, Barrett goes to Kumaro and throws a bullet into traffic. Kumaro gets hit as soon as he catches it, but it's a, uh, it's a, it's a big catch, and, and it's first down. They get nine yards on third and five. And then um, later on the drive, Dennis Moore has, has a big run. Once he gets through to the second level, you know, turns it on, cuts back into the, against the green. They score. Uh, Linfield, and, and this is probably Linfield in a nutshell for you, right? Um, all heart, this team blocks the PAT. So now, not only do they get the ball back with exactly five minutes left, but if they score, they have a chance to win this game with a PAT. They drive, uh, long story short, they drive all the way to the 20. It's uh, fourth and fourth and three. Um, the tackle to set up fourth and three, they gain seven yards on third down. Um, Brady Gravold makes the tackle, so someone who's known for coverage makes the tackle that sets up this fourth and three. And then uh, John Flood comes in with the sack on uh, on fourth down. Riddle didn't didn't have a ton of time to work and uh, got got boxed in pretty quickly and uh, and was sacked. And of course, the place erupts and uh, and, and Whitewater's going back to the Stag Bowl. Let me pick your brain about a couple of things. Ask you about a couple of guys. Uh, you know, we've uh, talked more about Dennis Moore the last couple of weeks than I think, uh, you know, pretty much all season. Uh, you know, in the rotating stable of Whitewater running backs here uh, this year, what did you think of Dennis Moore specifically? Uh, I, I liked him a lot, but actually I thought uh, some of the best runs in, in the game were, were Jordan Ratliff runs. To be quite honest with you, uh, both guys uh, went over 100 yards and – Lance Leipold said in the post game, he said one of the reasons we're here um, is because those two guys have run more physically in the playoffs. They've they've um, changed their running style, I guess, or or turned it up a notch. I don't know. However, you want to define it, but their physicality, running the ball, finishing runs, um, and we definitely saw that on Saturday, uh, where those guys, um, you know, when they got an opportunity to to get through the hole. They were uh, they they weren't just going to stop at three yards. They were getting you know dragging guys for extra plays and really the signature play on, on uh, late one of the signature plays late in the game uh, as Whitewater was was closing it out was a Jordan Ratliff run that looked like it was just going to be a couple yards to get the first down that uh, that Whitewater needed to run out the clock and it ended up being a 23 yard run where he just dragged a bunch of guys. So um, I, I thought those two were pretty good. Uh, Ryan Givens. Who uh, is maybe more well known running back to, to people who only follow Whitewater um, around Stag Bowl time? Um, he's he actually been phased out of the backfield to the point where where he plays defensive back now, um, and he, he got hurt. Uh, I believe he actually got hurt on special teams on Saturday. But but um, you know he was he's he's still in the running back depth chart. I think if they needed him, but but he's too too talented to go to waste. So they found a place for him on defense because uh, because Moore and Ratliff had been running so well in the postseason. 
And how about the linebacking core? I mean, is you know one of the big storylines at the beginning of the year was how this was an entirely new group, not just all the starters graduated, but a couple of the top guys uh, off the uh, off, off the second wave uh, graduated as well last year. What do you think of the linebacking crew? Yeah, I don't know if they have the have the standout guy like they've had for years, whether it was AJ Rabel or Jace Olson or um, gosh, Greg Arnold. Um, but I thought they're they're adequate is 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 too too harsh a term they're they're good and the i i felt like the the um the corners really stand out for whitewater and i felt like the defensive line there the rush is just relentless and um th- those are the the real standout parts of the defense uh whitewater has had trouble with its safeties they weren't very good in the Wartburg game those guys redeemed themselves a little bit each coming up with a turnover against linfield uh, Zach Nellis and uh, boy, I, I can't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head, but um, um, that's the weakness, I guess, in, in the defense. The linebackers are uh, fairly decent, and I think the real good parts are are Gravold, McLean when he's healthy, but they got a good game out of the out of the uh, other corner they put in there on Saturday, and then that D line. Uh, I think that's going to be the area we focus on as we as we wonder, as you look at how good Mount Union's offensive line was against Wesley's D-line, and then how good the, the D-line was for, uh, for Whitewater against Linfield. Ready to move on to talk about uh, the Stag Bowl itself? Yeah, that was a good segue. Stag Bowl 42, of course, on Friday night uh, on ESPNU. And I know a lot of people don't get ESPNU. You can listen to it on D3Football.com. Keith and I will call the game as we have every Stag Bowl since 1999. Um, that was a game that inc- included... Nobody wearing purple, by the way. Um, those used to happen. Um, but, you know, the um, so, you know, matchup for matchup, obviously, you know, we would have to sit down and break uh, sit down and break down a lot of film in order to uh, really get a, a true matchup of that uh, of that sort of thing. Um, let's start with receivers versus secondary, especially uh, Whitewater secondary, Mount Union receivers. You know, you mentioned Marcus McGlynn's been banged up a little bit. I know he played a little bit on Saturday, at least uh, the part of the game that I watched. Um, and you know, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of responsibility, a lot of guys to cover when you're uh, facing Mount Union. Yeah, and, and I don't think you can look at this as a um, you know a man on man thing. I don't think they're going to have you know, say Brady Gravold follow. Right. Uh, Namdar around. I think um, Whitewater is going to play the coverages that it plays, and because um, because Mountain Union is so prolific in the passing game, and because you know it, it's hard to you're not you're not going to beat Kevin Burke with with coverages. You're going to beat they're, they're going to have to get after him with, with pressure, and so um, I, I think it is going to be a big deal if um, if McLean can't go. But at the same time, he, he tried to go on Saturday and uh, got banged up again. And I, and I think, you know, there is always that 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 decision where um, are, are you if you're not 100 percent, are you helping your team? They got a, um, a a pretty, pretty good game out of the uh, out of the out of the backup. He was involved in in some key plays. And of course, I'm trying to find his name right now. Uh, Dylan Morang. That's the guy's name. Um, he played well and he was on he was on popping. Um, at it sometimes, um, so it wasn't like you know um, he came in the game and, and and was just out there. You know he was he was they went after him and he made some big plays. So I think they'll be okay uh, cornerback wise. But as you mentioned the uh, or as I mentioned a minute ago, the safeties were the guys who were um, who, who within the program. I think um, there are some some doubts about them after the Warper game, but they played pretty well on Saturday. Those two guys are, uh, are uh, Zach Nellis and Ryan Winsky. One of the things I took away from when you were talking about Sam Riddle, the Linfield quarterback, is that uh, the way you described him was, uh, you know, as a runner, possibly even better than Kevin Burke. Does that bode uh, problems, uh, pose problems for Whitewater on Saturday? Well, for on Friday, of course, my bad. Um, Riddle and Burke aren't the same style of runner. Burke is kind of a more of a, I mean, he's he's not they're not built the same. But Riddle's tall and lanky. Um, Burke is sort of short and stocky. Um, Burke, he'll keep it on the on the read option and you know duck his shoulder and uh, and and run a guy over if he has to. So he's he's more of a, a kind of tough style runner. Riddle was a was a kind of a shifty guy uh, in the open field, but. 
Whitewater has played now three consecutive really good um, read option quarterbacks. And this and this kind of speaks to the road Whitewater's had to play to to get to the Stag Bowl versus, say, the road Wesley played to get to uh, to Mount Union, you know, where they had to they went through Hampton City and MIT. Well, well, uh, Whitewater played played Wabash, um, then Warburg, then uh, then Linfield. And so they they and, and, you know, pretty much uh, all those teams and almost everybody's running it now is running is, is no huddle read option. Same stuff they'll see from Mount Union on Friday night. So, you know, having to try to contain Logan Schrader, having to try to contain Sam Riddle, this Whitewater defense is very used to chasing after a quarterback and, and sort of what, whether they have to employ some slow rush techniques or just really um, impress on the defensive ends, not to crash down, not to chase the running back down the line on that read fake and, and to hang, hang there and, uh, and play Kevin Burke because – and, and that means that, that Burke will just hand off to the running back every time, which is fine. That's probably what Whitewater wants. Um, they're, the defensive ends, and they are good, good defensive ends, they're going to have to be disciplined because Burke will make them pay if they're not. I would just throw out there that uh, even in the first round, Samson Bialystok is a, was a pretty good running quarterback, the kid from McAllister as well. So they've had uh, they've had a lot of those guys to look at. I just keep throwing matchups at you and, and see what uh, see what you bat back at me. All right. Sure, you're the you're the play by play. I'm color analyst. So if I if I got no analysis, I'm in trouble, right? Last matchup type thing I wanted to throw at you was uh, the uh, the Whitewater running game, who we talked about just a, a couple of minutes ago, uh, uh, coming up against Mount Union. Yeah, I don't think there's a there's an an easy explanation for this one where we could say yes, Whitewater will definitely be able to run on Mount Union, or yes, Mount Union will be able to to definitely stop Whitewater. Um, Mount Union got a pretty good test. Two times in, in within the span of four weeks against John Carroll. John Carroll had some success in in the Week 11 matchup running the ball against them. Tommy Michaels ground out some tough yards. One of the rare times you see an offensive line actually push uh, the Mount Union's front six around. Um, I don't know if if Whitewater will be, will be able to do that, but they've done that in their in the past um, Stag Bowls where they've been really successful. And to to be quite honest, you know the Linfield defensive line certainly not as big as the Whitewater offensive line, but they but quick and shifty, and uh, they they were in the backfield at, at some points on on runs and passes. And um, but but I thought it, when it when the time came. Um, the, the Whitewater offensive line did what it always does. And uh, those guys, you know, if I was giving out a game ball this week, those guys w- would, would be my game ball. Um, that that line and, and the, 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 the front six, again, from Mountain Union, the, the defense, the tackling, um, you, you know, guys, the, the guys who have to fill from the secondary to come up and, and, and fill those holes in the run game to make sure those short Dennis Moore and, and Ratcliffe, Jordan Ratcliffe runs don't turn into big long runs. That's going to be very key on Friday night. If, if I had given out a game ball from Saturday uh, of the many Mount Union defensive players who could have gotten this, I was going to I'm going to pick a. Cody Pogorelk, who had a uh, let's see an interception, blocked a punt, uh, tackle for loss, handful of tackles in key situations, but you know a lot of guys uh, with a lot of contributions on on defense for Mountain Union. It just seemed like his name was the one that stuck in my mind and came up in a uh, in a lot of places. But also uh, Mike Ferda, who we talked about in our post game show on Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, he had a one he had a sack and a half, couple of pass breakups. He was a guy who moved into the starting lineup on Saturday, but not unfamiliar to the uh, field because he'd already, uh, was already leading the team in sacks. So uh, that would be where, uh, where my game balls would go. We have, uh, of course, let's see a handful more days until we uh, play this national championship game. Stag bowl 42 uh, from Salem, Virginia. We'll have lots of coverage leading up to that. And there are a couple more things left to uh, cover here in this podcast, but I just wanted to throw out, of course, a reminder to watch the Gilardi trophy ceremony on, on uh, Wednesday night. If you're not in Salem, watch it live on uh, d3football.com. Um, you can, uh, let's see, Frank Rossi will be anchoring the show for us. Uh, I will be talking to all four of the finalists, and then we'll get the uh, live reveal of the uh, 2014 Gilardi Trophy winner. Uh, so you can uh, tune in that, on, as I said, on d3football.com. Um, and, you know, some of the, uh, of course, we'll have more Road to Salem features. As I mentioned, we'll be talking about the uh, Mountain Union defense. Uh, 
Keith's got uh, the rest of the crew working on uh, on what, Keith? The uh, Josh Smith will be writing about the the Whitewater running game, uh, which has been its bread and butter for a lot of years. This is the first year where they really didn't have a necessarily a go to back, um, but but they've they've come through as they always do with that offensive line and with Ratliff and more emerging here in the playoffs. So that's his feature, and then Adam Turr we're hoping can get in touch with some um, some players who've played in, in the Mountain Union Whitewater games over the years and uh, and give us some recollections. Specifically, I'm interested in whether, uh, you, you know, what the, the Whitewater guys who played the first two or three years, if they ever foresaw uh, this type of run for them where they're kind of consistently, actually now really they're the top dog and Mountain Union is, is trying to get back above them. Um, but, to, uh, you know, I think 2004, 2005, let's say, guys were still being recruited to Mountain Union with the expectation of going to multiple stag bowls where guys who were committing to Whitewater at that point, it was all still new to them. So I, I think that's pretty interesting. And um, I, I'm not sure what else you wanted to segue to, but I, I want to make sure I, I, have, I have one kind of closing thought slash rant I want to get to. <laughs> well, I talk about a couple more things. Of course, a reminder, you'll hear the next podcast live on our post-game show, but we will also, uh, at the end of the Stag Bowl on Friday night, but we'll also record it and post it for you. So those of you who are uh, pulling it in on your uh, on your iPods or your phones or whatever, uh, we'll still get a copy of that as well. And of course, the um, let's see, the uh, final top 25 is in the balance. Uh, we'd love to get our voters to vote on it on Saturday. That doesn't seem to happen very often on these Friday night stag bowls. Uh, so we expect we'll have a top 25 poll with you sometime before the end of the weekend. But uh, one of the things that kind of hangs in the balance, you know, is uh, the final ranking for John Carroll. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about is John Carroll actually the second best team in the country? Well, Mountain Union has to beat Whitewater and beat them fairly handily in order for that to actually be a, a discussion. But uh, John Carroll should end up being ranked pretty highly. And that may not be uh, that may not be all either. Pat, one of the reasons it's so tough to to get those ballots in um, right after the right after the stag bowl is over is because uh, we we do put a lot of stock in in the team's playoff performance and the road they took to get here. And there are some years where I can I can do the ballot up to like you know I can do like eight to twenty five, but but I need to maybe hold the last final eight teams, let's say, to because you don't know who's who's going to follow where in the stag bowl result. Does kind of uh, kind of affect all that, and I think that's very true this year. I, I don't think John Carroll can get up to two, to be quite honest with you. Um, I think that if I think Mount that Union if just just goes crazy on Whitewater, yeah, and I think um, if that happens, they end up two on a good number of ballots. Sure, I mean, if I guess if Mountain Union beats Whitewater by thirty-five, then then John Carroll, having played twice, two close games with Mountain Union, they certainly could could come in at two, and then you look at that that uh, result. The week before that game, this is a second round game where Wheaton and John Carroll played a 16-12 game. Well, then that that pulls Wheaton up the ballot. On the on the flip side, you know, if if Whitewater wins big, that probably pulls Linfield up with them, right? Linfield 20 to 14 in in the semis. In the second round, Linfield beat Mary Harden Baylor 31-28. So that probably pulls Mary Harden Baylor up, and it pulls Wartburg up too. Wartburg. Um, you know, had that big lead on Whitewater, and Whitewater ended up winning that game, thirty-seven, thirty-five. So, um, there's a lot, a lot for us to figure out. And then there's that question of a team who's not attached to either result necessarily. Uh, what do you do with Wesley? Yeah, well, that's a great question. <laughs> and that one, <laughs> I will, I'll try to ponder that when I do my ballot. Yeah, I, I just you know, I don't know yeah. how much you read into the 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 70 to 21 I, I do think it was a game where where if Wesley had played a little better earlier maybe that ends up being a, a, a better game obviously they they don't they're not as good as Mountain Union by by any stretch of the imagination but um and I'm not going to make excuses for them here they got their doors blown off but you look at their resume over the course of the season um they they beat some other some some other teams that will uh, end up in the top 25 uh, Hobart, um, you know, and, and they crushed everyone else they played. And then you look at that FCS game where, where, um, Charlotte was, was, had, you know, they were hanging with decent teams. They won four FCS games and Wesley went toe to toe with them. So I don't know how you judge Wesley against John Carroll. 
except by comparing their Mount Union result. But you got to figure Wesley still ends up in the top 10 somewhere. Yeah. I mean, you know, Wesley had uh, ends up comfortably ahead of Hobart. Hobart ends up ahead of Johns Hopkins and it all kind of sandwiches itself down. Right. So at least we've uh, at least we have somewhere there we can draw on. Did you want to rant about something? I have. Uh, let's see. I have. I don't want to give you the whole final 10 minutes up to an hour, but we're only at about the 50 minute mark right now. I don't think I need 10 minutes, but I did have one thought that that I don't think we've ever discussed before when it comes to the inevitability of of the same rematch and, and folks um, kind of complaining or, or saying, hey, you know, I, I want to tune out at this time of the year. You know, I think probably everybody who downloads this podcast is probably going to watch the game or follow it in some way because you wouldn't be listening if you weren't some kind of a diehard and, and you know, you just enjoy seeing D3 on, on TV. But um, a, a lot of a D3 season involves inevitability. So if you're if, if you view this, the, the Mountain Union Whitewater rematch as virtually inevitable, uh, Fine. You know, I get that. I get that it's it's you want to see some new faces there, uh, have have other fans have their turn at the top, have other uh, programs get to experience Salem. I get that. But we we deal with inevitabilities on a regular basis. You know, I, I go into the season knowing Randolph Macon probably isn't going to the Stag Bowl. The, the goal for that team is is to win the conference and, and beat Hampton Sydney. You know, Beloit and Lawrence and Whittier and Laverne, they're they're probably not going to the Stag Bowl either. So that's that's kind of the inevitabilities that all of us deal with. And we're looking for goals that we can reach, um, ways to enjoy the season. And I think that's something that no matter how far your team went, you can relate to that, that have that inevitability. You know, you know, as long as Mount Union and Whitewater are at the top, there'll be no such thing as the magic run, the 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 team that comes out of nowhere like Pacific Lutheran did in 1999, and uh, and and makes a you know, amazing run for the ages to the stag. But it's also taught us to enjoy Week 11, to enjoy the first few rounds of the playoffs, um, to appreciate the the journey, not just the end point. And that, folks, is the Around the Nation podcast for the week of December 15th, 2014. See you in Salem.